Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of the Build Your People podcast with Kathy Hum. I am your co-host, Jen Sproul, and I'm also the president of the Maryland Center for Construction Education and Innovation, MCCEI. At MCCI, our mission is to inspire, educate, and connect a diverse population to careers in the built environment. As our podcast title alludes to, with me is our podcast co-host, Kathy Hum. Kathy has over 15 years of experience in human resources, primarily in the construction space. She takes a strategic approach to recruiting, benefits, compensation, onboarding, career development, training, well-being, employee relations, compliance, and retention, and works hand-in-hand with company leaders to elevate their people, benefits, and culture. We'd now like to take a moment to thank the gracious sponsor of today's podcast, CapEx Advisory Group. CapEx guides impactful capital expenditures in three ways, leading individual capital projects, serving mission-oriented funders, and solving unique built environment challenges. For many organizations, a capital project can be a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity to expand capacity and amplify impact. A capital project can also represent a leap into the world of real estate development, financial stress, and a distraction from core mission activities by bundling their expertise in finance, design, construction, real estate development, and community development, CapExis services extend beyond those offered by a typical owner's rep. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Build Your People podcast with Kathy Hum and Jen Sproul. I'm your co-host, Jen Sproul. I'm the president of the Maryland Center for Construction, Education, and Innovation. At MCCI, our mission is to inspire, educate, and connect a diverse population to careers in the built environment. As our podcast title alludes to, with me is our podcast co-host, Kathy Hom. Kathy has over 15 years of experience in human resources, primarily in the construction space. Kathy takes a strategic approach to recruiting, benefits, compensation, onboarding, career development, training, well-being, employee relations, compliance, and retention, and works hand-in-hand with company leaders to elevate their people, benefits, and culture. Welcome, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, dive right in. In 2022, you went on on your own and founded NTP HR LLC. Can you tell our listeners what led you to take this leap? Well, as you mentioned, I've been in the HR space for over 15 years. The last nine was at Harkins Builders, and I built their HR department. And what I realized in the last couple of years at Harkins was that I was more of a builder than a maintainer. And I really loved the building a department part of my job. In the nine years at Harkins, I got very involved with associated builders and contractors. So I built a network there and decided that I wanted to open my own business, focusing strictly on the construction space and to help construction owners elevate their HR departments from transactional to strategic. That's awesome. So, I mean, I, I know Harkins very well, and I know you from your time at Harkins. I will say that um, what you built um, when it came to, you know, recruiting and reten- retention of employees there was incredible and definitely a lot of outside the box thinking and a lot of what I would say, a lot of what really large contractors um, even struggle to do in this space. And as we know, most of the construction industry are small contractors. Yeah. 
you yeah. see where you I'm a, I can see where you would see the the business opportunity um, to to help the industry for sure. Yeah, well, I I, I definitely drink the Kool Aid of heart of of HR. I drink the Kool Aid of construction, and I drink the Kool Aid of ABC. So that's a perfect marriage, the three of them together. And I just want to really help elevate construction. Awesome. So you already mentioned um, strategic HR. So what is the difference for um, those that don't know? What is the difference between a, like a transactional approach to HR and a strategic approach? So transactional is more about processing payroll, processing benefits. It's the paper administrative side of of HR. Strategic is putting a strategy behind your recruiting process, your onboarding process, performance management. What do your benefits look like? And putting a comprehensive package together to be best in class with your benefits. So it's 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 really looking bigger picture than just doing the day-to-day administrative transactions. So you're saying HR is more than just um, a 401k package and- Way more. (laughs) And particularly in today's society, I mean, you know, uh, I read an article not too long ago where the workforce population is drastically shrinking for three main reasons. One is the uh, fertility rate of, of a household has declined to 1.9 per household. The baby boomers are retiring and eligible men between the age of 18 and 35 are not in the workforce. They may be living with their parents, they're maybe playing video games, but you know, there's a, 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 a desperate need for workers. So you have to be creative and strategic strategic to find your workforce. And then you have to be creative and strategic to keep them, to retain them at your organization. Absolutely. I do think, I mean, several of those things are key to the, the issues we have here in the construction industry. One, the baby boomers, for every four people that retire, only one person's entering the industry. Um, And then the demographic, when we are a male-dominated industry in which 90 plus percent of our um, employees are men, and you have, I'm pretty sure it's historic lows of the 18 to 30 percent range of men being employed. You have to think outside the box and maybe try to recruit more than just men. Um, into those positions where all fight, all industries are fighting for the same people. Right, right. And you have to be creative and that's where the strategy comes into play. Um, You know, it's less about hiring people who know what you do, construction, carpentry, roofing. It's more about, do they have the skill sets, the, the um, soft skills and the essential skills that are important in what you do, and you can train them the technical skills. You can train the technical skill sets. I would imagine too that maybe as a recruiting person, if you have somebody in charge of recruiting, you need to make sure that they are being open-minded when when the candidate comes across. Um, if they don't necessarily fit the bill of the same person that has had that position for the last 20 years um, for those same reasons, if you, if you don't have the same type of person applying. 
How would you, you do? Yeah, you, you have to think outside of the box. I really, you know, I, I really suggest looking beyond the, the four-year degree, the two-year degree, and, and not have that as a criteria and look more about, you know, are they good communicators? Uh, do they have that get up and go and that fire in their belly to do what you need them to do? You know, those are the things that you should be looking for. And are they a team player? Do they fit into your culture? Those are so important. So speaking of team players, when we were uh, preparing for this podcast, you shared with me a video by Jack Welch. Um, and we're going to include the link to the video for um, in the post for this podcast for anybody that wants to see it. Um, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jack stated that in his opinion, uh, your HR manager is one of the most important positions in your company, more important than your CFO. And he said, for example, if you were trying to get the Yankees to improve their stats, who would you want to talk to? The director of player personnel or the team accountant? And I found that really interesting because, you know, I've been in the construction industry myself for 23 years now. And the, the person, the CFO, the accounting manager, they're always in every company I've ever worked for has been in strategic planning meetings. But the HR manager wasn't always, if there even was an HR manager. What are your thoughts on that? Well, HR is overhead and you can't job charge it. So it's it's um, the, the executives have to understand the significance of HR. Look, your most valuable resource are your people who work for you and who has the best connection with the people and all of the HR functionality. It's the lead of HR. So that person should be have a seat at the table and be a valued asset to your C-suite. Um, and I do believe that, you know, certainly you need your accountant, but the HR is, is um, the link to the people. And Jack Walsh hit it spot on. Matter of fact, a friend of mine who owns a small uh, construction company had said to me, he spoke to um, a good friend of his who works at Next Day Blinds and um, he's the CEO and he said, your best, um, most valuable employee for an executive is their HR lead. Awesome. And, you know, having that connection and that, that sounding board and that resource is critical to the success of your organization. Absolutely. So Jack Welsh was spot on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it does seem to be like your, your HR manager can make or break your company. Um, if they aren't strategic thinking, if they don't truly understand the needs of your company and beyond just your immediate hiring needs, you know, five years from now kind of thing. I, yeah, I can, I can see that being a, a very critical uh, role to fill. Now, as we talked about earlier, the majority of construction companies are small businesses. And very often the HR manager, um, if there is one, is also doing double duty as maybe the accountant or um, an office manager or something like that. So what do you say to those small business owners who say they can't afford to have two people in those positions? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. What happens is an, a, a, an individual will start their own company and they get to about 20 people or so and they're wearing all the hats and they think, oh, gee, this is, I, how do I business develop? How do I take care of my clients? Now I have, you know, 20 plus people and I have to do their performance management and take care of them and make sure they're happy. So typically what they do is they put somebody from accounting into an HR seat because you have somebody doing your payroll. Mm -hmm. And then that person kind of moves into the HR seat, which um, they're two different, they're two different animals, accounting and HR, completely different. Um, and then, you know, an organization may hit 50 people and, you know, it's starting to get out of, out of control. There's a lot of spreadsheets. There's no automation and organizations typically will throw another individual. We need help. We need help. We need help. Um, and they'll throw another individual, maybe somebody dedicated to HR in that seat rather than wearing the accounting and the HR hat. And one of the things that I, I explain to, to executives is that you really need to just kind of push pause here. And there's a lot of systems that HR systems that automate these processes for you so that you're not continually throwing a 50, 60, $70,000 person at the problem. If you automate those spreadsheets and all of that administrative transactional stuff, then it frees up that HR hire to be able to do more of the strategic planning for your organization. So what I would tell companies that feel like HR is an overhead expense and I can't afford it, well, a software system is $20,000, $25,000. If you keep throwing you know, a, a salaried or hourly person uh, into your HR department, the 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 um you know your your return on your investment is very obvious to me absolutely i'm i mean for an industry that has embraced project management software accounting softwares and whatnot i can it doesn't seem too far of a leap uh to to do the same for oh. hr but if you don't know it's out there and didn't know that was a as an idea um I guess you wouldn't do it. So I, I think that's great. What about potentially hiring off a consultant instead of having a full-time HR person? Like and that's an option too. I mean, that's that's what I do. I'll go into businesses that may have an HR representative kind of running the show and partner with the executive team and those those HR individuals to um, come up with a plan on how to build out your recruiting and your retention and, and those functions that will help retain your people, benefits, uh, compensation, salary bans, um, making sure they're compliant so that if if they get audited, they're they're in good shape, those kinds of things. But working as a partner with the executive team, mentoring the HR lead so that that person um, can grow and develop in that role and then just kind of turn the reins over to, to that HR person. And also recommend at certain um, thresholds, look, you, you know, usually at 50, you you definitely have to have a, a, a dedicated HR person and you should have an HR system because that will make your life and your HR team's life that much easier. And then by 100, you should have two people and you should make sure that you continue that automation process. 
And I imagine too, when you hit over 50 people, a lot of employee a lot of rules change for employers as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm running into that a lot with the smaller businesses. You know, ACA reporting is a requirement after 50 employees. And um, I know from my experience that um, that can cost you several thousand dollars to run that report. It's an ugly, nasty beast and nobody wants to do it manually. It's a requirement that you have to make sure that you offer medical benefits to your employees and their dependents. And, you know, you have to track employees. Uh, if they're working full time, it's easier to do the reporting. But if you have some that work, um, a re you know, under 30 hours and sometimes over, you have to track and trend anybody that makes, you know, earns 30, 30, works 30 hours or more, you're required as an organization to offer them those benefits. So that's a big one, you know, and you talk about um, return on investment in a, in a computer software system. Systems can do that. Yeah. Whereas if you didn't have an HR system, you would be hiring a company to, to put that report together to go to the federal government. And it's funny, I had one trade partner say to me, well, they're not asking for it. And I said, it just takes one audit. And yeah. the, the risk to the company and the cost can be pretty significant. You know, FMLA reporting after, mm -hmm. you know, if you have 50 employees or more, you need to do um, be um, doing um, abiding by the FMLA Family Medical Leave Act, which mm -hmm. which tells you that after if somebody's out for more than three days, you're required to send FMLA paperwork, which is which is leave. If you've worked for the company for a year, um, it's it's a protected leave for 12 weeks, unpaid leave, but most companies will um, allow individuals to take sick vacation, PTO, and then unpaid leave. But those are things that are, you know, federal government and a lot of small businesses don't realize that. And if you hit a hundred employees, you have to do your EEO one reporting. Right. And right. I'm, I'm running into, these are just basic you know, there's a lot more to the compliance piece, but I'm running into this a lot where companies really, we, we have to do that. Yeah. You have to do that. <laughs> well, and I, I think that just is, goes to show if you hire an experienced HR person, they yeah. more than paid for themselves. I mean, the word audit should terrify any business owner out there. I've been at, been at companies that were audited <laughs> and having, you know, people sitting in the, you know, a conference room for a week plus pouring over every paper. I mean, it is a, a huge disruption to business and um, and could be incredibly costly. Honestly. And another really quick thing I want to say is that, um, FLSA, you know, classifying employees as exempt and non-exempt. Yes. That's, you know, that exempt is salary, non-exempt is hourly. And you need to be really careful with that because if they should be non-exempt and you have them as exempt and they're working more than 40 hours, that could be a, a claim down the line for you and you would be required to pay that back pay of overtime pay along with penalties. So, you know, that's another big one that you have to be mindful of. Oh, so, I mean, it's, it seems to me it's a no-brainer to one, just to even you utilize, especially if you're uh, at that threshold, you're about to to hit 50, 
to hire someone like you to help you navigate that. And then you're, you're almost paying for a senior leader without putting them on payroll, basically, mm-hmm. and helping and making sure that you've got all your uh, I's dotted and your T's crossed so that um, everything goes smoothly. The, the, the worst thing that could happen is, is to, to lose money to the government. Yeah, really. for sure. So what, this is probably a very loaded question, but what is one thing that you think the construction industry needs to change um, how they approach HR in general? What's like the big thing that we should be focused on? Well, for for HR to work, you have to have executive buy-in. So any executive who is listening out there, you need HR as your right-hand person to succeed in your business. It's it's um, there's a lot to unpack with HR, as Jen mentioned in my bio. It starts with your strategic plan and what does that look like? What's your plan for the next one, three, five years? And then how do you tie in your HR goals and objectives to your strategic plan? And then from there, you start building out your recruiting, onboarding, benefits, performance management, compensation, all of that. And it all ties to um, your strategic plan. So it's so critical that executives have buy into HR and that they factor in the cost of having an HR representative and ultimately an HR team um, for their organization. I think that's the biggest thing. And then it's a matter of um, walking through the steps to get them into more of a strategic mindset. Yeah. So, you know, I come from um, like a business development background and um, us, anybody that's, you know, familiar with business development probably is familiar with the, uh, the bamboo analogy of where um Bamboo requires like any plant, you know, water, sunlight, and good soil uh, to thrive. But even if the first four years of giving bamboo those three things, you see nothing at the surface. But then at the fifth year, it sprouts up like 80 feet um, in a six-week period of time. So the analogy is for the first four years or so, bamboo is growing this strong, root system that will that is large enough to support the weight and the height of that 80 foot shoot in year five meaning that business development is a long game right you have to cultivate your connections and your clients before you finally get that job I feel like it's the same for recruiting you can't just be hiring for tomorrow's you know, job that starts tomorrow and you think, well, where do I want to be as an employer in five years? What size projects do I want to be doing? Are there markets I want to be getting into that I'm not in now? And then what kind of hires do I need to do? So what do you say to an employer who is thinking that way? Um, what what are, what are some steps they can take to plan for their long-term hiring needs? 
So the, the analogy applies to HR as well. When you get serious about HR as an organization, you hire a, 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 an HR representative to take you to the next level. You hire someone like me to um, work with your HR representative within your organization or the executive team. The first year is going to be about organization and processes. So, um, you know, aligning job descriptions, career paths, and understanding, you know, what what does it take to get to the next level? Um, do you have the right policies in place? You know, parental leave's a big one. Um, marijuana and drug testing are big ones. Um, those kinds of things. So processes procedures, getting organized. Um, and in that first year, start to develop your strategy around, for example, recruiting. And what is it going to, what are the type of people that you're going to need? And where are you going right now? What sources are you using? And um, how can we expand that so that we can find, we can out of the box, think outside of the box on um, types of people that would fit into the culture and have those essential skills that would work in our organization. And then, um, you know, build out that strategy so that you can um, see the, the return on your investment from say year one to two to three. So really, Year three, you're going to see, okay, we've built this out. We've gone to these career fairs. We've advertised and we promote this on social media. Whatever your strategy is, um, you'll start to see some return year two, but really you'll start to get those people in the door and, and then you put them in your you know, career development path and your training and all of that. So it is, you know, it takes time. Um, but you have to start somewhere. And what I'm finding is when I go into organizations that have 50 to 100 people, they've been just doing it the same way since they started, which is kind of wing it mm -hmm. and be reactive rather than proactive. And we need a project manager. We need a superintendent. We um, put it on LinkedIn, put it on, you know, Indeed. And, um, you know, my job is to get them to be thinking more strategic and, and, and map, have that roadmap of how are you going to get to where you need to be, you know, in year two, three, and five. One thing um, that we talk a lot about here at MCCI is investment in your future workforce. And a lot of employers say they want to hire that project manager with three to five years experience and you're paying for somebody who's been trained by somebody else with that. So you're paying a, paying a premium. They've also been trained not how you do things as well. So sometimes it is, I think obviously there's times when you do need somebody that already has experience that nobody else in your company has, right? There are those strategic hires. But when it comes to the, the roles that you're routinely having to fill, why not do what things that I've seen Harkins has done, which is, you know, hire young people with no experience, give them the training opportunity um, to, as an intern or as an apprentice, train them yourself. Yeah, it costs a little bit of money to, to train someone, but you're 
building loyalty and you're also providing a mentorship opportunity to those people in your company that are already there to help grow the young the younger people i i think um there's that there's obviously that gap of the experienced person that still needs to be filled but i think i mean what what are some strategies that you've seen that are successful in in growing those young people into into project managers that that somebody here well let's face it the the superintendent boots on the ground people are it's almost a dying breed so if you keep doing the same thing that's the definition of insanity you know, you know, find somebody who has construction experience and who can build a stick frame building. We can't look for people like that because they're non-existent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have to start, um, you know, we have to go a different path and we have to start with the younger, newer generation and paint the picture of what it will look like in one, three, five years. That's why career paths are so critical to the younger generation. When I was at Harkins, we started a winter internship program and we, we advertised it on social media and, um, the focus was on non-traditional construction people. So someone who was changing careers, um, uh, uh, individuals that were in high school VOTEC programs, um, that one of the gentlemen that we, we hired as an intern was military police. I mean, so we had all different, um, different types of candidates and not your typical four-year degree Virginia Tech or, you know, I've worked 10 years in my dad's business construction and, you know, I'd like to come work for you. We can find those people um, pretty regularly, Mm -hmm. but we ended up having an internship of about 10 non-traditional candidates and they worked out really, really well. It was phenomenal. Um, I mean, I personally have a non-traditional pathway into project management. Um, I started off as a marketing assistant at Whiting Turner, um, went through their project engineers training to become a better marketing person. Um, and then when I was in that, I was like, I think I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they get me a lot more money than the marketing people do. So I actually have had the opportunity um, at Plano Calvin to do that. Um, and it was great. I was in that position for years before I went back into marketing. Um, but I mean, I'm grateful every day that they gave me that opportunity sure. to grow myself. And I, I think that, and actually I have a very good friend who um, also is, um, comes from a marketing background for an architecture firm who's now considering becoming an electrician. I think it's, as women specifically, like a lot of us did not ever get exposed to the idea of working in the built environment. So some of us went a different way at first, had pathways at first, and it wasn't until we were adults that we realized maybe I could actually, one, be really good at this, but also support my family on a career because careers in construction are much better paying than traditional like female held roles. So I mean, I, anybody listening, absolutely, do, do what Harkins did, do what Kathy's 
suggesting I love the in winter internship program that um, you put together there. I've, I share it with people all the time. It's, it really is out of the box thinking. Like you said, those superintendent positions were are typically filled by somebody who started off in the trades and the trades are not being filled either. They have the same problem. So if you're, if you don't have any going to become a carpenter, how are you going to have somebody with 10 years carpenter carpenter experience to be your superintendent? Just so that they're not there. Yeah. And one of the biggest kept secrets is construction for women is just a phenomenal career. We've come a long way in construction as far as uh, accepting and embracing women in the field and in the industry. We still have more work to do for oh, wow. sure. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of opportunity for women. And I commend you, Jen, for raising your hand and saying, I can do this. Because a lot of times women need to know what their next step is 100% before they take that step. And so that's great that you took the step and said, you know what, I, I want to do this. I want to go in the field and I want to work, um, work there as opposed to in marketing. That's great. It, it was fun. It absolutely was fun. And I love, um, I had very young children when I was in that and actually prior to having kids. So it's really been cool for yeah. my daughters yeah. to see that, to grow up. Like they don't think anything of the fact of a woman in construction. Like it's what they've always known. So I'm hoping we can be ch slowly change the narrative on what, it, what a construction worker is. Yeah, I 100% agree. So... I think is there, before we before we wrap up for the day, are there any other thoughts that you you wanted to share with with our listeners? Yeah, I think another thing I'd, I'd like to share and kind of leave our, our viewers with is uh, HR representatives need to be mindful of what's most important to the C-suite, and that's risk and cost. And um, you know, having the confidence to put together a business case, um, you know, a conversation around a certain topic in HR and presenting that to the executives team. We as HR representatives know that and present in a, in a way that that's going to capture the CEO and the president's attention and in turn move the needle in HR. That's great. That's, that's so important. And I think a great way to wrap up our first episode. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kathy. I'm so grateful that you agreed to do this series with us. And I want to thank everyone who is listening to the Build Your People podcast with your hosts, Kathy Tom and Jennifer Sproul. We hope you enjoyed our first episode as we begin tackling the construction industry's biggest HR issues. If you're keen to see these how these ideas can be applied in the real world, Join us next episode when we'll be taking a deep dive into recruitment best practices. If any of our listeners have a topic or question they'd like us to cover, please share them in the comments. And please check out all the links and resources in the show notes and follow us on social media. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.